So welcome, Easter. Welcome, St. Paul's. What a glorious day. God has been good to us. Uh, I want to set a context for Easter before you today. And, and think about this in terms of those women and Peter who came to the tomb early that morning on Easter Day. Um, last Sunday, of course, we walked through Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday was that day when probably in the forefront of every disciple's mind that Jesus was making his movement into Jerusalem for a grand coronation. They thought he was going to be a king in an earthly sense. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of David. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, Dr. N.T. Wright, bishop, former bishop of Durham, wonderful Anglican theologian, he said that these words above his Head on Jesus read the king of the Jews. There's no way they weren't thinking that he would be an earthly king like David. The royal robe they put on Jesus was actually an expectation for Jesus as king like David. He said the symbolic messaging goes on as they took a crown of thorns and forced it down upon his head. Remember that Easter morning. In their hearts and minds would have been that the political movement's over, Jesus is dead, the hope is lost. Now, in everyone's mind, Jesus was a failure. He spoke like a king, yeah. He talked about a kingdom, yeah, he did. Yet now he was dead, he was a pretender, he was a joke. You call yourself king, Jesus. Bishop Wright said that same pattern would have been followed by almost 70 people in the first century. They were all what we would call messianic pretenders. And the pattern was re repeated every time. There would be a charismatic Jewish preacher like Jesus. They would preach a gospel about salvation, that God's going to do a new work in Israel, that he's going to kick out the Romans, and that I am your military leader to lead you in liberation. Then, of course, the Romans would get wind of it. And once the disciples grew to a sizable size, then they would come in and they would kill the head of the movement and squash the movement altogether. Isn't that what we saw on Thursday night? I mean, Monday, Thursday, when, when Jesus is betrayed, he's in the garden, and the Romans send in an army to cut the head off the leader, and he's taken that early that morning to a trial. He's arrested for treason. That's exactly what we saw happening for all intents and purposes, it looked like Rome had squashed yet another would-be Messiah from Rome. And when the next day, he said, it is finished. It must have been heard as a voice of defeat, not a victory over sin and death. So remember, this is what's in the minds and the hearts of the disciples on Easter morning. This is what they felt at the tomb. And you know what happens next? Some women come and bring some spices and they say some prayers and anoint Jesus for burial. And then they go back home. If it were us in the south, they'd have gone back to the parish hall to eat fried chicken and potato salad. That's what you do after funerals, right? And you speak about the man who has now passed away with all of his broken dreams and all of his failed promises. That's where they were spiritually today. You can hear it in those two disciples walking away from Jerusalem towards Emmaus. Oh, we had so wished that he was the one to save all of Israel. My friends, they're broken hearted. They couldn't be more distraught. 
They were broken. The election is over. They chose Barabbas instead of King Jesus. So take down the political signs. The movement's done. Remove the political bumper stickers from the chariots. Roll up the banners that say King Jesus. Put away the Make Israel Great Again hats. Put it way back in the closet. For your king is now dead. But something happened. Something happened that morning. When all the other messiahs had failed and all their disciples had gone home dejected, these disciples didn't. They didn't give up. Instead, they took ground for Jesus. They became like a wildfire. They courageously preached the gospel. They were out of control and they spread across the ancient world. How? Why? There's no doubt that Easter was the reason that Easter joy had come. That they found out that Jesus is not dead. He lives. Resurrection life had come to the church. The greatest news the world has ever known. So with that in mind, that's the context. I want to wish you all a happy Easter. Because the same Jesus that lived back then is the same Jesus that lives today in his church. So if you have come to the church today and you've lost your hope. Maybe it's been a long time since you've been in church altogether. Perhaps you've even lost your faith. Perhaps you're downtrodden and broken. Then you got some good company. Because you're in the company of Mary and the women and Peter this morning. So the first hope, the first call of Easter is to have Easter hope. Is to allow Easter within your broken dreams and busted promises to understand that he still lives. He still lives, and if he lives, there's not anything in your life that he cannot redeem, that he cannot make whole, that he cannot forgive, that he cannot set free because he lives. In verse 24 today, we read about dawn, the dawn of hope. It says, on the first day of the week at the early dawn, these women came to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared you see, they had spices. They were expecting a dead man in the tomb. They were going to anoint his body for burial so that during the decomposition period, he didn't stink too much. That's the ground, that's the, the reality of what we're talking about. You might just call them the first spice girls. <laughs> All right, it's corny, but remember it, okay? They wouldn't have come with 70 pounds of spices if they thought anything other than a dead man would be in the tomb. Our king's dead. But in verse 2, their lives changed. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, and they went in, and they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. In verse 4, it gets more exciting. They're perplexed. They see two angels in there who proclaim that he's risen in dazzling apparel. In verse 5, they're so perplexed that they become frightened. Frightened because he's not there. And they fall down in awe and reverence. And what grips my heart this morning is the next verse. And I hope it grips yours. The angels turned to them and said, Why do you seek the living among the dead? Why are you looking for the Lord Jesus among the rotting corpses? Why are you looking for Jesus in a dank, dark tomb? Y'all are so slow to believe. And in verse 6, the angel says, He's not here. He's risen. He lives. What a game changer that message was. Even Peter, when they go to Peter and say, he's not here anymore, he's risen. It says that the disciples called it an idle tale. 
There's no way I can believe in that. But guess what? Peter began to run to the tomb, right? He wanted to investigate for himself. Is there any way that Easter hope could be true? And cautiously, slowly, he allowed a little bit of hope and a little bit of joy to come into his heart. And in verse 12, it says, Peter went home after seeing it for himself, and he marveled at what had happened. Hope was coming back. For the next 50 days, Jesus would appear to various people in the church. He would appear through locked doors to the disciples. He would appear to Thomas, saying, Thomas, man, I'm not a ghost. Poke me, prod me, see where they stabbed me. I'm not a ghost. I'm resurrected Lord in the flesh. One day he would eat fish with his disciples. And he says, guys, I'm not a ghost. Touch me, feel me. I'm alive again. 1 Corinthians, Paul says that he appeared to more than 500 people for the next 50 days. Hope had come back to the church. Easter hope had dawned. But why were they so slow to believe in the first place? Well, the angel says in verse 6 and 7 this morning, He's not here. He's risen. And remember how he told you when he was with you in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinners and on the third day be crucified and on the third day rise again. Do you not remember? Do you not? Jesus kept telling them, I am no political king. I'm not going to sit on a physical throne. My kingdom's not of this world. It's within. God has brought me on a mission to suffer and die and rise again victoriously. But guess what? None of them listened. None of them. Remember when Peter has that, that proclamation pronouncement before him? He has to pull Jesus to the side and rebuke him, saying, Lord, forbid it. I'll never let this happen. Remember another time he tells his disciples, and they begin to argue about who's going to be greatest in the kingdom when Jesus gets to Jerusalem for his coronation. Physical stuff. In Mark 9, it says that Jesus told them about the mission, but they did not understand what he was saying, and they were afraid to ask, Mark says. Now, on Easter, all things began to make sense. You've got to suffer. You've got to die. And on the third day, rise again. And that was Easter hope, and it changed their lives. Now, my question for you today is, get Easter hope. How do we get Easter hope? I mean, the first thing we need to do is need to listen to the Scriptures. We need to go back into the Scriptures. Because what they had done was they projected their want for a Messiah. They had projected what they would like to see God do into the story of Jesus. Rather than letting the story of Jesus transform their hearts and conform their hearts to the message and ministry of Christ. They were the first disciples. <laughs> they had thick heads. They were slow to believe, slow to understand, and they wanted the Messiah to be defined on their terms. Jesus, as he walked with the disciples to Emmaus, he began to open up the scriptures, the law and the prophets, and he began to tell them where he was in the Old Testament and that all the scriptures were pointing to his death and resurrection and his glory everlasting. You've got to go to the scriptures, folks. The great disciple or great reformer John Calvin said this. I love it. He said, Christ is Isaac, the beloved son of the father who was offered as a sacrifice. 
Christ is the compassionate brother Joseph, who was not ashamed of his brothers as unscrupulous and sinful as they were. Jesus Christ is the priest Melchizedek, who offered himself once a sacrifice once for all. Jesus is the sovereign lawgiver Moses, who through the power of the Spirit writes God's law in our hearts. Jesus is Joshua to lead his people into the promised land. Jesus is the victorious and noble King David, who by his hand squashed the powers and made them subject to him. Jesus is the magnificent and triumphant Solomon, governing the kingdom in peace and prosperity. Jesus is the powerful Samson, who by his death has overcome all his enemies. And then he concludes. He said, if one were to sift through all the law and the prophets, he would not find one single word which would not draw our hearts and bring us to Jesus. Folks, I must suffer, I must die, and on the third day, rise from the dead. That is the hope for all of us in the church today, that he died to forgive sinners, that he rose victorious, and when this old body withers and fades away and dies, that we will follow him in glory, new resurrected bodies to the glory of God. So Easter is a call to hope. Easter's a call to investigate the scriptures. And finally, Easter is a call to Easter faith. All right, don't miss this point. It's one thing to understand intellectually that Jesus rose from the dead and be convinced. It's another thing to walk through the empty tomb and say, I want some of that for myself. You see, historical faith says Christ lives. That's a good step. But saving faith says Christ lives in me. You see the difference? We can say Christ lives intellectually, but we need saving faith. Christ lives in me. When the angels told the disciples, guys, y'all missed it. You didn't remember that he had already talked to you about rising and dying and, and rising again. It wasn't the information that transformed them. It was the stepping through the tomb in faith. You see, Easter is not about more information about Jesus. It's about transformation in Christ. And those women who came from the tomb that day, they didn't go home the same. Peter, who went home from the tomb that day, he didn't go home the same. There's an old African-American spiritual that says this, And you won't leave here like you came in Jesus' name, bound, oppressed, tormented, sick, or lame, because the Holy Ghost of Acts is still the same. You won't leave here like you came in Jesus' name. I know you're here at Easter. Some of you probably hadn't darkened the door of a church in a long time. But my deepest, most heartfelt prayer is you won't leave here like you came. Step through the tomb. Investigate with some of the great scholars of the church. There are so many people that can be read like Alistair McGrath and N.T. Wright and John Stott and the great Templeton Prize winner, John Polkinghorne, who are all Anglican priests who believe in the resurrection of the dead. Step through the door. Investigate. But don't stop there, because that's just historical faith. We want saving faith. So ask Jesus to live in your hearts. Jesus said this, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me, shall never die. I pray that you won't leave here like you came. In Jesus' name, for he lives. Alleluia.
Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Hallelujah.